So I'm going to talk about strengthening yourself in the Lord and my subtitle is make it a lifestyle, don't wait for a crisis. Um, so we're going to look at um, one of the best stories I think ever in the Bible and that's from 1 Samuel 30 um, which David and his men are in the desert and they've been living in this town of Ziklag and they go away to try and fight more battles, come back to find the whole thing burnt down. And there's that famous line in verse 6 there that says David strengthened himself in the Lord. So that's, that's going, to be, going to be our subject, so you can keep your finger in 1 Samuel chapter 30. Um, but one of the challenges, especially when something's familiar, especially when you feel, yeah, 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 you've heard that, um, and even when you're in your own reading or you're listening to someone, is, is it's important to keep asking Holy Spirit to help. Ask Holy Spirit, because it's amazing how many times you can read through the Bible, you can read stories, and again and again God highlights some stuff. So that's the main thing I was looking. As I was looking there, God was showing me all sorts of stuff that kept coming up through the stories and my challenge was really just to, to hone in because there's so many new things that I felt God was, uh, was showing there. Um, but yeah, learn to ask Holy Spirit to reveal stuff. And the other way that I've found to help myself is really to try and imagine the background to the story because you get little lines and it's just a one or two sentence bit of a story. What on earth was going on? What did everyone else do at that moment? What was in the scene? What was the weather like? What was the atmosphere? Who was on the sides watching? Who was active in the middle? You can sort of let your imagination go a bit and start to think more. And it's amazing as you do that, put yourself in the story. What would you have done if you were one of those characters in there? Um, and, and it's amazing what God shows you and refreshes the story to you as you start to let your imagination go and God inspire that. Um, so do believe that uh, one of the things I carry is a father's heart and uh, it's just great to release that. And I'm convinced that God wants to release more of that and the worship was just, you know, confirmation that, that God's love for us is unconditional and his acceptance of us. And that picture of a child sat cuddling on dad's knee, probably by the fire, probably not watching TV. Um, and uh, Sorry, a little dig there. Um, and, uh, you know, uh, it's a distraction. Um, and, and just that familiarity and comfort and ease and there to sort of either do nothing just to be or to that. What do you think about and, and, ask, and ask questions? So let's see where we go with this. Yeah, so just um, emphasize, we've been building on previous weeks since uh, Jan McFarlane was talking a few weeks ago about declarations and a couple of weeks ago talking about um, our hopes and desires and what happens in the face of, of disappointment and hope deferred. So, let's look at this story about David. He is an amazing character and a really huge figure in the Bible for lots and lots of reasons. He managed to be both a worshipper and a soldier. He managed to live that life in the intimate place, but also live that life on the battleground, seeing sights you know, that you and I will never imagine. There was so much blood in his hands that God didn't allow him to build a temple, yet he was a man after God's heart, and he managed to be both a warrior and a worshipper. And he learned to worship in a culture where worship was all about religious formality, and yet he learned to worship in a very intimate and personal way, so much so that he could do it as a shepherd boy on the hillside when no one was around and there's no religious paraphernalia, um, and God imparted something to him. He was a good king, so he managed to fulfill the mandates, the you know, thing that God had set him apart for. And we've each got something that God set us apart for. David's a great example of someone who actually pursued and fulfilled that. And yet he was a man who messed up. He did some whoppers. I mean, Bathsheba, come on. You see a married woman, you think you'll sleep with her. She gets pregnant. 
serial killer husband. You know, perfect solution. But if you read Psalm 51, you see what happened in his heart there. His heart was totally both repentant but also aware of God's forgiveness. He both saw that he'd sinned against God first and then against Bathsheba, Uriah, and the baby. He fasted and prayed for that baby. The baby died, and everyone was too worried to tell him that the baby died, thinking, well, if he's that bad when the baby was sick, what on earth is he going to do when the baby died? But the, the story goes on that he was so convinced that praying while the baby was alive was the right thing. Once the baby died, he knew that that was God's answer, and, and he sort of got up, had something to eat, and carried on and looked for the new thing that God was doing. So it's a great story, even that little... Um, little story of someone knowing God's forgiveness and knowing the release that comes from that forgiveness. And the amazing thing that that story carries on is David and Bathsheba had another baby, King Solomon, great king, and forefather of Jesus. What an amazing picture of God's grace right there. But anyway, that's not today's story. Um, today's story is about loss and betrayal. It's about great disappointment, and it's about a man who had great promise, but was there in, you know, I don't know whether it was a desert, but in my head it was a wilderness place um, with, uh, you know, a few hundred guys around him, and he just lost everything. And how did he face that? Now, you may think, I'm not a warrior commander, I'm not any guerrilla leader. How on earth does this story, um, how can I identify with this story? But we can look at how he managed himself and what he responded to in the face of great disappointment, great tragedy, rejection from others, and promises not fulfilled. So it's a little bit that we're looking at, but uh, I just want to sort of set a bit of a steam. And part of that is just because of my love of stories. I just want to sort of, you know, tell a bit of a story. But there's so big a story that I've got to skip around a few verses. So David appears when Israel didn't have a king, but then said they wanted a king, and Saul became their first king. Sadly, Saul didn't follow God's ways. And 1 Samuel 15, verse 11, God said, I regret that I made Saul king because he's turned away from me and not carried out my instruction. Samuel the prophet had anointed him and set him in as king. And 1 Samuel 16, verse 1, the Lord said to Samuel, how long will you grieve over Saul since I have rejected him from being king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and go. I will send you to Jesse the Bethlehemite for I provided for myself a king amongst his sons. And then there's the story of the choosing, and there are all these, you know, handsome, fit-looking guys who came forward, and David was so not in the picture that he wasn't even invited when the prophet showed up. He was away on the hillside um, with the sheep. Um, so how he chose him, and then verse 13, um, 1 Samuel 16, Samuel took a horn of oil, anointed David in the presence of his brothers, and from that day on, the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David. So great, exciting stuff happened. But then you carry on in chapter 16, and his gift in worship was recognized. Saul was getting tormented, um, and they said, well, we know a guy who can play the lyre. He'll come and pray for you. This was no celebrity worship leader. Saul didn't actually remember his name, as you come later on in chapter 17 um, with Goliath. He said, whose son is that who's just killed the Philistine champion. This is the guy who's been worshipping for you for the past couple of years. You know, did you not notice? Um, so it clearly wasn't that. And not only that, it wasn't even a full-time position. David was backwards and forwards, it says, tending his father's sheep, and then every so often he'd come up and, and play the lyre. So a fairly inauspicious start to being anointed as the great king over Israel. 
The story carries on. He does kill Goliath. Eventually Saul notices him, gets him in the army. And just as he's starting to fulfill his mandate, he's winning battles, he's getting favor, he's really succeeding, Saul starts to feel threatened and Saul starts to get jealous. Um, and then Saul thinks, I've got to get rid of this guy, otherwise what's going to happen to me? So he then starts to have death, you know, threatening death and actually throwing spears at him. And David flees, he leaves alone everything that he's had, everything that seemed to be going well for him, suddenly has to abandon it and he goes to the Philistines. He thinks the only place I can escape is out of Israel. Goes to Gath, um, one of the town cities in, uh, in, Phil in the Philistines land. Um, but realizes that isn't safe and he has to feign madness and escape even from there. We pick it up in 1 Samuel 22, um, verses 1 and 2. David left Gath and escaped to the cave of Adullam. When his brothers and father's household heard about it, they went down to him there. And all who were in distress or in debt or discontented gathered around him, and he became their commander. About 400 men were there with him. Hardly the kingship that he'd been aspiring to, hardly the anointed leader of God's people. Saul continues to chase him around the desert and um, backwards and forwards, eventually thinks there's nowhere safe, and he goes back to Achish, the king of Gath, and he says, you know, I actually like you, and I'm going to give some favor. Here's a small town of Ziklag. You and you guys can go there and, uh, you know, be there. And he actually found so much favor with this king of the Philistines that Achish wanted him as his bodyguard. He said, you and your men can be my bodyguard, and it was only because the other Philistine lords said no that David didn't end up in battle against Israel and Saul. So a sort of quick gabble through quite a few chapters there, but just to summarize, so David's the youngest son, left out on the hillside when the prophet turns up. He was anointed as king, but sent back to the sheep. He was called to worship um, when um, Saul was being troubled, but even there it wasn't a full-time position. He came to battle, and when Goliath was um, taunting Israel, and David turns up asking what's going to happen to the man who kills this. His eldest brother said, the eldest brother who knew he'd been anointed king, said, what have you come down? Who have you left those few sheep with? So even what he was doing was being despised. Um, he was in Ziklag for 16 months, and then even there as he's thinking, well, surely I'll get somewhere with this guy, he's rejected from that. So the story we pick up is when he couldn't make it to Nakish's army, and he's trudging three days back, towards Ziklag, um, and we pick up the story in 1 Samuel 30, verses 1 to 10. Now when David and his men came to Ziklag on the third day, the Amalekites had made a raid against the Negev and against Ziklag. They overcame Ziklag and burnt it with fire, and had taken captive the women and all who were in it, both small and great. They killed no one, but carried them off and went their way. David and his men, when they came to the city and found it burnt with fire, and their wives, sons and daughters taken captive, David and the people who were with him raised their voices and wept until they had no more strength to weep. David's two wives had also been taken captive, and David was greatly distressed, for the people spoke of stoning him, because all the people were bitter in soul, for each for his sons and daughters. But David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. David said to Abiathar, the priest, son of Ahimelech, bring me the ephod. So Abiathar brought the effort to David, and David inquired of the Lord, Shall I pursue after this band? Shall I overtake them? He answered him, God answered him, Pursue, for you surely overtake, and you shall surely rescue. So David set out, and the six hundred men who were with him, and they came to the brook Bezor. 
and those who were left behind stayed. David pursued he and 400 men, 200 stayed behind, for they were too exhausted to cross the brook of Bezor. Even that last line there, why were they so exhausted? All they'd done is three days march back, you know, to the town, um, and then they must have wept so much that they're actually too exhausted for battle. So that's the picture there. There is a happy ending to the story. They find the Amalekites, they get all their wives, children, and belongings back, um, and later on in the story, David eventually becomes king over Israel. So what we're looking at is a small section in a much, much bigger story. And I hope you forgive me sort of laboring the story there, but I think sometimes we jump in too quickly and we miss the sort of background and detail. And if, if you miss the whole story, then sometimes it's harder to connect with what is it that God's saying. Um, so just going to sort of look through the story and see what we can pick out from that. And one of the things I was thinking was, okay, we're not there. Um, we haven't had, uh, haven't had anyone kidnapped, let alone two wives. Is it, is it, I was thinking this, is it worse if you have two wives kidnapped? Uh, perhaps you shouldn't go there, but... <laughs> <laughs> That was just a light relief, don't we? <laughs> um, but what was his first response when he came to Ziklag? There's this huge tragedy. His first response was just grief. He wept. He was not suddenly leaping in as the man of faith and power in the hour. He, he really was weeping his heart out. He had no strength left after weeping as much as they wept. And you just cannot imagine being in that situation where all that you treasure, everything else had been lost, he had no place in Israel, and all he had was his wife and family, or wives and family, and even that had been taken from him. And God really spoke to me that sometimes we're too quick to press on and do the Christian thing, too quick to press on, and, and, and if you, like me, have been brought up to think that if sovereign God allows all things, and scripture clearly says that he'll turn all things for our good, then I probably should be okay then, I probably should, you know, bottle it up and think, okay, God, show me what, what's going on here. We have to bottle our emotions. And I've learned that God is not threatened by our emotions. God not thrown off course if we have a wobbly. He's not thrown off course if we suddenly are weeping so much that we have no strength left. And actually, it's a much more honest place to connect to God with. If you're there and you just a raw emotions, if you're there shouting whatever it looks like, you know, this was not a quiet, you know, little sort of, oh dear, in the corner. This was weeping your heart out. Um, and sometimes we, we sort of, I don't know if you like doing that around other people, I don't. It's nice, um, like yesterday when I was preparing, everyone else was out at the festival. Um, and I had a great time just sort of being really noisy on my own in the house. Um, but, you know, that's just more of a cultural thing, I guess. But, you know, it's a much more honest place to connect with Father, and that's the place where it's best to receive His love. So emotions are good and we shouldn't suppress them, we shouldn't worry about them. The only thing is, they're not good to make decisions on. So, uh, you know, don't deny them, just don't rely on them. So, David strikes, uh, sorry, disaster strikes, David and his men weep and weep, um, and then not only has he lost his, his wives, the guys he's nurtured, the men who've been with him all, these, all this time, threaten to stone him. And it's really easy, this struck me so much, how come 600 guys decide to stone him. David decides to strengthen himself in the Lord. And what is our response when crisis strikes? What is the thing that we do when situations happen that we weren't expecting? And it's very easy. Um, 
when you look at these stories, to look from a distance and you know the outcome and you sort of distance yourself from it. But actually, put yourself in there. How would you respond? You'd been there, you'd given your heart to this guy, you'd really thrown everything in with him, you'd trusted him in all his decisions, and it looks like he's let you down because you'd gone off to Akish. Why on earth are we going to, to that thing? You question the leader's decision there. And then not only was it a bad decision because it didn't work out, you come back and everything that you treasure has been lost. So you're in that situation, what on earth would you do? And sadly, it's very, very easy in any crisis to find someone to blame. We often respond assuming that something has gone wrong, and if something's gone wrong, someone's to blame. And we want to find them, um, string them up, and, uh, and do bad things to them. Yeah. Um, and, and sadly, that is the society that we live in, isn't it? So the media string people up, and we all think bad things about them. We might not be there flailing them, with, with whips or what have you, but there's lots of tongue lashing that goes on and lots of people, you know, are really, their life has ended as far as their career is concerned. So how do we respond um, when pain comes and, and what is the situation? So faced with kidnap of his wives, rejection and death threats from his men, what did he do? Well, verse 6, the last half of that verse there, David strengthened himself in the Lord. It's a little bit too short, really, isn't it? It's like, sort of, you know, come on, tell us, tell us, what did you do, what did you do? But actually, sometimes the Bible is fortunately short on detail, because that means there's no formula. That means there's no, you've got to do it like this. Everything that happens, I can be me, you can be you, and we can respond the way that's appropriate to that situation without, okay, right, let's think, 1 Samuel 30, verse 6, that says, dot, 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 and, and have some rules to follow. Um, but it does mean to say we've got to use our imaginations. There's no formula, there's no rules, but we do need to learn and to practice. There's lots of things we can be sure that he didn't do. We don't know how long it was, um, but we can pretty sure he didn't run into a phone box, dash out with a cape, and suddenly save the day as Superman or anything. We also know that he didn't disappear off. Um, he didn't sort of suddenly think, right, you know, you guys have rejected me, clearly it's not safe here. I need to find another group of people who will love me, who won't criticize me. Um, and, and so he didn't run away. And he didn't try and go solo. Um, he didn't think, okay, you know, you guys are a bunch of losers, clearly no good in a crisis. Um, I'll go and find my wives and what have you. So there's lots of things we can see he didn't do. But what he did do is he encouraged himself. And again, one of the things that I love is taking responsibility. It was no one else's job to fix him, no one else's job to sort him out. He chose that if anything was going to happen, he could blame other people, but he chose not to. He could have blamed the other guys, well, clearly you, you know, weren't any good either. But no, he took responsibility. It was his job to sort himself out and to fit, encourage himself in the Lord. And we have to do that. We have to find out what is it that's my part to play. So when any crisis arrives, our natural response is to blame others. But maturity and wisdom comes when we think, okay, what's my part and what do I do in this situation? Um, looking to blame others is a very natural thing, but often that just leaves us with this victim mentality, which is never one to prosper and to succeed from. Um, and not, I'm not saying when we do that that we don't ask other people for help, but it's not their responsibility to help. It's our responsibility to take charge of me and to say, okay, well, if I need some help, I will ask, but it's not someone else's job to, to fix me and to sort me out. And the next important thing is he realized that he couldn't do anything himself to fix this. And that is 
freedom right there. That is the best thing that you can realize, that you often face situations and suddenly it's, oh, I've got to do something, I've got to, to sort something out. But true freedom comes when you realize that I can only be me and I can only point my heart and affection towards Father. Anything that's good that's going to come out of this is res responsibility or is going to come from Heavenly Dad. It's not, it's not going to come because... And, and that's, that brings a whole sense of freedom there because it's not the pressure of I've got to work this out, I've got to come up with a solution. Um, my job is to look to God and to focus on Him. And this really is a huge issue that most of us face because all that, all that these crises do is force attention on us. And what we've got to learn to do is turn our focus for God and not take false responsibility, not take on what's not ours to do. Um, so, as I said, what did he do next? Well, he didn't run off. He didn't retire, retire hurt um, and rejected. Um, and he didn't become a hermit in the desert. Um, he went back to the very men who criticized him, to the very men who minutes or hours ago were about to stone him. Um, and he took up the position that he'd been given as, as leader, commander over this, um, this group. He went back to where God had placed him. And it was from that place that he then moved on. And, and that really, when I was thinking about what is it about this story that God's saying, clearly strengthen yourself in the Lord is, is a sort of meat of what God's saying to us. But it's not just stopping there. I'm not strengthening me just that I'm a happy me. I'm strengthening me because I have an influence than those around me. And if I'm, you know, a reject in the corner, if I've just done the hermit thing, then I'm no good to anyone around me. But if I strengthen myself in the Lord, then I'm there and I can play a part and I can help and be either a strength to other people or part of the answer to whatever it is that the crisis is going on. And, and so often in, in Scripture, we can just have this me in my small corner, you in yours mentality to what we're looking at. And because a lot of it's is stories about individuals and how they meet God. We see it the wrong way, that it's just about me and my life, um, where all of the stories, and that's why I love them, they're all about community, they're all about you know, gathering together, they're all about families, armies, people, um, and God has called us to be a holy people. He's called us to, as a church family, um, one of the things that really we've been uh, emphasizing and, and getting a lot of benefit from. Um, so how I am directly impacts those who are around me, for better or for worse. Uh, and that's the, that's the sort of wake-up reality call, isn't it? You can think you just slip into the back of church and you just sort of, mm, a bit of a grump today, um, and just think that doesn't really matter. But no, it directly affects those around you, whether you realize it or not. So having strengthened himself, having realized it was his responsibility and the only one who was going to help was Father God, um, he came and the next thing he did was he asked God what to do. And it's important to realize he did it that way around. He strengthened himself before he asked God what to do. He might not have coped if he'd asked God what to do before he'd come to a place of faith. That sort of, yeah, sure, go chase that army of Amalekites might not have landed in a good place. And he might have gone more down the tubes if he hadn't found that place. And we often get that the wrong way around. We often don't um, realize who we are. We don't realize who God is. We don't get that perspective right. Um, I think I've missed a bit of what I was going to say there. When crises happen, the devil's tactic is very often to make us forget who we are, who God is, or the connection that we have. And everything that happens in life will be attack on one of those three things. And so crises come, and 
You've got to get that connection right. You've got to remind who has God made me to be. Remind who is my Father God. What is that relationship and connection I have? And as we do that, as we connect with Father's love, as we come to a place of faith, then that's where we can then ask, okay, God, what do we do? Um, and it's important that he did do that. He didn't, he was hurt, he was distressed. These real raw emotions were still flying around. You don't switch those off if you've been weeping till you can't weep anymore. So they're still there, but he didn't make his decision based on that. Um, he made a choice to help the very ones who criticized him. Um, and didn't make wrong decisions based on his hurt and pain. How did he do that, though? So we're going to look a bit more. As I said, there were 600 men. They all faced the same situation. All of them were there um, facing kidnap, and every belonging that they had had been taken. And how come David responded one way, and everyone else was looking to blame? They wanted to take their anger and pain out on someone. How come they didn't turn to God? How come they didn't strengthen themselves in the Lord? And sadly, if you wait for a crisis and then think, oh, I'll strengthen myself then, um, you'll be disappointed. David had developed a lifestyle of worship. He really had learned how to find God in situations both big and small. Whatever it was, he'd learned how to turn his heart and his affections towards, towards Father. So what can we do? What lessons um, did David learn and what have I learned? And I'm just going to rattle through a few things here about this lifestyle that we can adopt. And... I really want to encourage everyone that there'll be things that you do well, things that you don't do so well, things that you, you've started on and you, you sort of might you know, lose focus with. Um, and I'm just going to throw out a whole load of things here. One of the best bits of advice I was given, my previous pastor, um, just talking about what should we do, and he said, be a worshipper. If all you do is be a worshipper, then you know, it just stops there. You don't need to do anything else. Um, and it really was the best advice I was ever given. Learn to get close to God whenever or wherever. Um, even on a Sunday morning, and this sort of struck me, is sometimes you can get distracted by songs. Is it actually worship? Do you actually connect with God um, when we're singing, or is it just sort of, you know, going through that? And, and I love our worship team. They're sort of much less directional than others around, so it's actually lots of space. Um, and if you don't learn how to worship yourself, then it can be a bit of a thumb-twiddling moment, can't it, sort of? Yes. Um, so yes, learn to be a worshipper. Um, doesn't matter for me. I don't know quite why rain. There's early on as a Christian, perhaps living in Glasgow for too long, um, rain comes down and you can choose to think, rain, rain, rain. Or you can think rain is a blessing from God and rain is a reason that our land is so green and flourishing. Um, and so I just chose... To, whenever it rains, to actually think, Father, thank you for blessing me. Um, and then amazingly, I thought the same thoughts in the shower. So I have great times with God in the shower. Um, it's quite a challenge though, because as I was praying, preparing for this, I'd have a great thought. Oh, I'd have to get dried. I'd have to remember it long enough to get my notepad out and actually put it down. So uh, I haven't yet found a waterproof notepad for the shower yet. Um, but anyway, so whether it's in the car, I, I love the fact that we've got mobile phones nowadays. Um, way back when, when I spoke in tongues and the chap, you know, in the uh, queue next to you looks over and thinks you're talking to yourself. Um, well, now you're hands-free on a phone, aren't you? So it doesn't matter. <laughs> so I'm much less self-conscious speaking in tongues in the car now because no one's sort of giving me odd glances. Um, so wherever it is, you know, um, I find I've got a busy job, um, but there are always moments when you can just stand, turn aside, turn your affections to Father 
um, and all these little things you do, but about, you know, how do you worship? Um, declaring truth and just reminding God of who is, thanking God for who he is. He doesn't need to be reminded, we need to be reminded. But we can thank God for who he is and thank God for what he's done for us and that heart of worship. Reading scripture, just reading the Bible regularly, as I say, I love a lot of the stories um, and, and finding those things where God speaks afresh all the time. There will be verses that God's spoken to you. You can ask God if that's not the case. What are the special things that God's reminded you? And learn and memorize those scriptures. And then when things happen, suddenly uh, the verse comes back. Psalms are a great way. If you are in a, you know, just that blank confusion, something's happened and you don't know where, just start reading the Psalms. David learned to worship, and a lot of those Psalms were David's, and it shows his heart, and it shows again the raw emotion. And you can read the Psalms, and you can just start reading. You know, put a worship CD on, start reading through the Psalms, and you'll come to a place where something in that Psalm matches what's happening in you on the inside. And then you can see and follow through. What did David do? And that's inspiring and helps lead us through what we can do in situations. So read um, the Psalms until you, you really find that connection. Another sort of lifestyle tip you could say is, is strengthen what's weak. That's what David was doing, is strengthening himself. That assumes that you know what's going on. How well do you look after yourself? How well do you know yourself? How well do you have a checkup? Sometimes we just have those blur feelings, don't we? Um, and for some of us, you know, there's this little phrase I've, I've sort of had. If you're tired, go to bed. If you're weary, go to God. And uh, sometimes you actually need to go to bed. Sometimes some of you guys, you know, perhaps I'm looking at you know, younger guys at the back there. Um, sometimes you're just tired and the reason you feel rubbish and the reason life's falling apart is you're not looking after yourself. Um, so learn the warning signs. If you think of a car and a warning light comes up, it's the oil warning light, but you do the tires you're not going to get very far, are you? You're going to wonder why things have gone wrong. There's a warning light, but did you recognize what the warning was? And did you apply the right solution to that? Um, so listen to our bodies, respond appropriately. Another lifestyle tip, thankfulness and gratitude. It's amazing what happens in turning around your life. If you just choose to thank people, thank God, you can thank the person in the shop who served, you can thank the person who stepped aside and let you get through the door, what have you, if you just have this attitude of thanking and find things to thank God for, anything. I start thanking God for green lights and, and parking places. Um, it's amazing what you find your hang-ups are, sort of waiting at traffic lights. <laughs> so green lights, I've learned to thank God, hoping I'll just get more green lights in my life. Um, but gratitude in everything, and that really is the best antidote for entitlement. If you just thank God for what it is, then there's this, you know, bless me, you know, I'm entitled for everything. It's, sort of, it's much harder when you recognize that what we have comes from God. And as well, if you're, grat if you're grateful in everything, then you do learn to value small beginnings. You do learn how to see God in a small thing, and that means I can only thank God when it's something big and amazing. Um, no, you can thank God whatever the situation. Grumbling. There's a phrase that's read through Israel's story about grumbling in the tents. How guilty are we of grumbling in our tent? How guilty are we of hanging around people who grumble? Um, and it's amazing what atmosphere you can create by the words that you speak. And you might think you're on your own at home. You might think it's just you and your, you know, in your house. Nobody can hear. But you've created an atmosphere. You've created an atmosphere that at least affects you and quite likely affects those around you. And if you have that critical, dismissive, unthankful attitude in your heart, it's 
very, very hard, almost impossible to respond in faith in situations. So we can create a good atmosphere by the words that we speak. Deal with disappointment, Andy spoke very well a couple of weeks ago, um, and, and how do we deal with disappointment? What do we do when things don't go the way that we'd hoped or desired that they would do? Learn to listen to yourself, and particularly if you're finding yourself feeling condemned. Um, condemnation is that sort of heavy feeling that comes over you where just, there's something wrong and it's probably me. Um, and you don't really know why. When God highlights something, it's very clear what we should do, how quickly we can repent, and how great God is at forgiving. But condemnation, that heavy thing. And again, another verse that's really helped me through the years, 1 John 3, verse 20. For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart, and he knows everything. So how great is that? That really is, even if I'm feeling bad about me, I can look to God, because he doesn't feel bad about me and he can lift me out of that. Just throwing lots of things out here. Meditate. Meditate isn't the sort of home. Oh. Um, meditate is that sort of going over, it's that muttering, it's that um, speaking out, and it can just be sort of reminding yourself. But you can meditate on truth from Scripture, you can meditate the promises and, and prophecies that God's given. You can speak in tongues as that going over and reminding. I think it's quite important, I'd like God to show me a bit more about the why, but there's something about our speaking that is actually important in creating. Um, and it's good to have good thoughts, but it's even more powerful when we speak those out. And even if it is just that the muttering, that's me and my environment that I'm affecting, but there's something about speaking out loud. So sometimes we can think things, and breakthroughs have come for me when I've actually opened my mouth, and again, the car, turn the music up, you know, you can sort of, if you don't want other people to hear, you can find ways of, of doing that. Um, but just speaking things out loud when you're on your own is a very powerful thing in changing environments and atmospheres around you. Similarly, we, we sort of emphasizing testimonies and having testimonies that remind me of God's goodness, testimonies that provoke me to expect more from God or grow my faith are great. And I can either look for things that I can give testimony for at least I can respond, and when I hear other people's testimonies, I can say, thank you, God, that's something that you did, and I can tell that good thing and then grow in the benefit of that. Um, and so we can do that. There's a couple of verses um, from Psalm 119, um, a huge long psalm. You can tell that when I say that verse 99 says, I have more understanding than all my teachers, for your testimonies are my meditation. Verse 111, it goes on, Your testimonies are my heritage forever, for they are the joy of my heart. So great, so let's have this habit and attitude of giving testimonies, of responding well to testimonies. And I've sort of called this section um, lifestyle. The last lifestyle tip that I thought to share with you this morning is probably the most important. Don't take yourself too seriously. And sometimes we can get all wound up, sometimes we can you know, think that and even that lovely Christian thing that we do, the devil's after me. I must be really important to God because the devil's giving me such a hard time. Actually, possibly, but maybe not. Um, and, you know, we can sometimes take ourselves too seriously, and that actually makes the problem bigger than God intends it to be. So if God sits in the heavens and laughs, let's learn how we can position ourselves at the right hand of Jesus and have a good laugh as well. And so don't take the situation too seriously. God knows the outcome. So then let's look at what do we do in a crisis. And as I say, the devil's tactics are often to make us forget who we are, forget who God is, or to disrupt that connection. 
And a crisis, one of the key features of a crisis is often provokes confusion. Sometimes you just sort of lose all track of, it was not expected, you did not think that this was going to happen. And what you do is you find yourself all confused. So what do you do in that situation? Um, I don't know whether you're into computers, you find yourself using a lot of computer language. I've got down here, reboot from God's love. You can go back to the thing that you know that you know, that God is good and that he loves you. And if you don't know that, you can keep reading scriptures and find scriptures and ask other people to help you. What is the thing that you know that no matter what this situation looks like, I know that this is true. Um, and we've got to find out what we know to be true as a foundation that we can stand on in the midst of all the confusion that crisis will, will provoke. And even what was the last thing that God said to me, if you're not sure what God's saying anymore, well, what was the thing that you last knew that God had said to you? Um, my job is to trust Heavenly Father, it's a great quote I heard, Heavenly Father, with the problems and situations I don't understand, and focus on stewarding my will to what I know to be true. Um, and that's, that's really, you know, our job is not to understand, our job is to make a choice to focus on God and his love and let God work out what only he can work out. And Psalm 23 verse 5 is an amazing verse to hold on to, um, that God provides a table in the midst of our enemies. And I've been sort of asking God to sort of fill out this picture, and I actually have been imagining more about this, and for me I've just seen a huge, huge long banqueting table just for me. It's not sort of, it'd be nice if anyone else is free to join it, but that's not the point. It's there, I can have whatever I like. You know, ham, chicken, you know, beef, whatever. All the different dishes you can imagine, it's there. He provides a table in the midst of our enemies. And I can just imagine a sort of like, you know, in the sci-fi movies, this sort of shield wall that comes down, and this sort of thing comes down, and they may be roaring and raging out there, but they can't come anywhere near me and God's provision for me. And I've just had this picture of a, a table in the presence of my enemies. So they're either there with a sort of sci-fi shield wall, or God says, time out, and they have to go into a huddle and think, oh, what are we going to do now? He's having, he's having, a, he's having a meal. And uh, so whatever way it works for you, that table in the presence is a safe place, it's a place of provision, it's a place where God has provided. And whatever your situation, I'm convinced that God has always got a table of provision for you. Whatever crisis, whatever battle you may feel is raging around, then there is always that table in the midst of our enemies. And that really is the, the key of what we do in a crisis. We have a choice. We can focus on the battle, it's still there, the enemy hasn't gone away yet. Um, or we can choose and focus on God's provision. Uh, and that's a big thing. So my job is to trust Father and focus on what I know to be true and leave what I don't understand to God. Um, and yes, the battle really is a distraction. That's what the enemy wants. Stuff happens in life. Car breaks down, kids get ill, stuff happens, you lose your job, bills come that you weren't expecting. Crises happen, that is part of being life. Um, but what do you do in that situation? Do you focus on the battle or do you focus on God's goodness and then look to God for what to do out of that? So yeah, learn to feed regularly from God's provision. And you can look at the little things in life and if you train yourself when it's just an upset, another red light. Um, you know, you can choose to where do you let your heart go when things, you know, okay, the gas bill was a bit bigger than I was expecting. Where do you let your heart go in the small things? And if you train your heart well in those situations, it's much easier when the really big things come along. 
And it's always important to remember that these testing situations are not always the enemy. God allows the testing for the word's sake. He's planted stuff in us. He's planted seeds in each one of us. And he's wanting that to grow and flourish. But he often allows challenge to come. It's like even me as I'm preaching, how much do I believe what God has put in me? How much do I value that? There's a testing that comes for the word's sake. And he wants to show how strong and reliable he is. He wants us to be utterly convinced of his goodness and his greatness. Um, and that's not just for other special people, that's for each one. But he also wants us to grow strong and believing and convinced of what he's put inside me. So I've learned how to just enjoy being me. That's a, that's a heritage for each one of us, that we can truly be us in every situation that we turn up in. But it has to start with valuing and acknowledging that. And God allows testing to come to grow character so we can handle more blessing, more influence, to grow faith that we can respond well as situations um, arise. So it's not always a case of rebuking you know, stuff that happens. Sometimes it is strengthening our hearts, drawing close to God, getting that connection right, and then asking God, what should we do? What should I do in this situation? So I'm sure there's more I could pull out from that story there, but uh, I think that's probably enough for today. That There were several other things that uh, I was wanting to pull out from, from that story. Um, but I just want to encourage you and to provoke you um, to use the little things in life to strengthen yourself and to make this a lifestyle of looking after yourself so that it's not just when a crisis hits, you suddenly think, oh, what do we do now? If you leave it till then, you can still turn to God and he's still faithful, but you'll find it much more of a struggle. If you have learned to be a lifestyle of, of looking after yourself, of, of learning how to find God in any and every situation, then you'll find that God will speak to you. God will turn situations around a lot faster. Amen? Can we pray? Father God, we bless you so much that you are our heavenly dad. We bless you so much that you're not caught out. Stuff happens and we were not expecting that. There was no way we thought that was going to happen. But you are never caught out. You know the end from the beginning. And God, you placed each one of your children here. Each one of us can have that place as your son and your daughter. Know the joy of being close to your heart. As the psalm says, the song said this morning, about finding that place in the shadow of your wing. And God, that close, tender place with you where we can find comfort where we can find strength, where we can find the answers to our situation. And God, I ask that this week, you give each one of us an opportunity to draw close to you. Let each one of us hear your heart of love. Each one of us hear the acceptance that comes from a heavenly dad who loves us just as we are. And God, I just want to bless and impart these good people here, anyone who's <coughs> listening, to receive your father's love. God, let each one hear and feel the impartation, the good things that come from a heavenly dad who's done everything possible to make the way clear, everything possible to provide for us. Whatever situation we face, you are bigger. Even our own hearts are not big enough to keep us from you. As we choose to turn to you, God, we know that we'll find you faithful and quick to respond. God, just speak your blessing out in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Amen.